0: to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at EdenWorshipCenter.co. Good
1: morning, church. So like I said, we're going to be reading from Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your son, we thank you for the truth that you reveal to us. God, this morning we would just pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning. And God, as we receive your word, may you bless your people as we go from this place. pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.
2: As we continue in our study in the book of Genesis, we've been tracking the life of Abraham, the calling and the blessing of Abraham, and the promises that God has made to his people. And here's the main theme. It feels like the drum we've just been beating for several weeks now. God always keeps his promises and fulfills all his purposes. God always keeps his promises He always fulfills all his purposes. That's the sovereignty of God. That's the sovereign king who rules all things. And yet underneath that, we find illustrated in this narrative today, underneath God's sovereignty is man's care and responsibility. We're going to see it in Abraham. We're going to see it in his servant. As both of them say, I don't want to be the one to mess this up. Those of you who've ever done any building before, especially woodworking, which I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm not great at, but I know some of you are meticulous and careful. Now, that's what's going to separate you and me a little bit, because here's the part that gets us all a little bit in the anxiety, and that's when you've built something, but now you have to cut a hole in it. Anybody ever had that anxiety before? You're like, if I do this, and if I do it wrong, all is lost, and I have to start over. So if you're super careful and you've made something nice rather than me, uh, odds are you're, you're feeling that a little bit more. That's sort of the same thing that Abraham is saying. I don't want to be the one who messes this up. This blessing that God has promised of land and possession, but also an inheritance of sons and daughters for generations. He's old and his old age is weighing upon him. And therefore, what does it look like to pass these promises of God on to the next generation? Friends, I would say for us, as we look at this passage, that should be something that resonates within us. What does it look like for us to not only know God, but pass on the promises of knowing him to the next generation? We also see that illustrated in Abraham's servant, who's going to be sent to find a wife for Isaac. And he says, I don't want to mess this up either. Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's the longest narrative that we find in the Old Testament with the exception of the flood narrative. And so we're going to take these 61 verses that we're going to tackle this morning in bits and pieces. So I I would encourage you as a family, maybe get together and read all 61 straight through. We're going to read most of them this morning, but let's begin in Genesis 24, verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage of scripture, uses a couple really interesting turns of phrases for the 1500s. He says, Abraham feels his age. He feels the impending time coming upon him. He's 137 years old. And yet, feeling that age, and I love this phrase Calvin used, yet his old age is still green. There is still life. There's still hope that lies within him, which kind of illustrates some of the things that's going to happen. Let me just read you a quote from Calvin on this. Abraham, perceiving himself to be worn down by old age, would take care that his son should not marry a wife in the land of Canaan. For old age itself, which is at the most not far distant from death, ought to induce us to order the affairs of our family, that when we die, peace may be preserved among our posterity, and the fear of the Lord may flourish. Friends, I don't know how old you are, but if you are a parent or a grandparent, you should be feeling the shortness of days that we have. And we want more than just peace for our children. More than just a happy life. A successful life financially. Oh, the heartache and ruin if they should live a happy, healthy, prosperous life on this earth and then step into eternity bankrupt before the living God. Oh, that the fear of the Lord may flourish in our homes and children and grandchildren. And so verse 2 Abraham said to his servant. Interesting, we're never told what his name is, but he's described as the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Here's what Abraham says to him. Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country, to my kindred, And take a wife from my son, Isaac. Now let's just stop and ask ourselves what's going on in this passage. We got 61 verses to cover, but we're going to take some time up front on this. Why does Abraham not want his son to marry a Canaanite girl? Is he just racist? Is he looking down on people from other cultures and other experiences? Is it actually the first Recorded case of xenophobia, a fear or dislike of anything that is perceived to be foreign or strange. Is that what Abraham's problem is? That's the first question we're going to answer, and here's the second. What's with all the (laughs) thigh-grabbing? What the world is happening here? Right. So if we're going to tackle the first question, we have to jump all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. So as we're looking back to Genesis 3, kids, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever gotten in trouble before, and either mom or dad says, all right, guys, line up, right? You knew, you knew you were done right there, right? And it's line up time, and what have you done, and why did you do this, and don't you realize, and most of the time, we're just trying to find somebody else to blame, Right? If we can put it on big brother or big sister, or even better, little brother or little sister, we're going to deflect it. This is essentially what we find happening in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are within the garden, and the serpent, Satan, comes to them, brings temptation. They succumb to that temptation, and then it's as if God just lines them up. All right, Adam. All right, Eve. All right, serpent. Let's have a chat and judgment and curse is pronounced upon them. God says to the serpent, Genesis 3:15, there is coming an offspring from this woman. There's going to be a son who is born and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Kids, which is worse? Getting hurt on the heel of your foot or getting your head crushed? Head, right? No competition at all. Uh, God promises that there's a Savior who is coming who's going to crush the head of the serpent right from the beginning. A Savior, a Deliverer, a Redeemer. Who's that going to be, kids? Jesus. Adam and Eve don't know that. And so Adam and Eve have a baby, the first human baby ever born on the planet does anybody remember what they named him? Kids, do you remember what they named that first boy? I'll give you a hint. It's not Abel. That's his younger brother. Jesus. Jesus. I love the enthusiasm. No. Cain. Cain, right? They named him Cain. It literally means, here he is. Here he is, the savior, the deliverer, the one we were hoping for. Kids, was Cain the savior and deliverer? No, he turned out to be a Murderer. There's a lot of enthusiasm this morning. (laughs) Slightly misdirected. So Cain, obviously, is not the Savior we've been waiting for. And then a little time goes by, and another guy comes along named Noah. We're told when Noah is conceived, when his mother finds she is pregnant, they name him rest. That's what the name Noah means. Genesis 5, 29. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This one shall bring us relief from our work, and from our painful toil of our hands. Do you remember what the curse was? You're going to work with painful toil. Not just work and enjoy it and see the fruit of your labor. It's going to be painful. And they said, Noah is going to be the one who gives us rest from that. He's the one we're waiting for. And Noah did deliver eight people upon the ark. But is Noah the savior of the world? No. No. In case we had any doubts, Noah proves it by getting off the ark, planting a vineyard, immediately getting drunk and naked. Right? I don't know how messed up your family gatherings are, but they're not that messed up. (laughs) So we look at Noah and go, well, even though he's named that, he's clearly not the Savior we're waiting for. But he has three sons, so there's still hope. He's still coming. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah went forth from the ark. They were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then Genesis 9, verse 18 specifically tells us, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Canaan is where Abraham is at. That's the promised land. The descendants of Ham, the one specifically that God condemns as Ham and Japheth, uncover their father's nakedness. And we don't know exactly what that meant, but it was bad enough that God curses Ham. In other words, says, uh, this Savior, this Deliverer is not coming from Ham. Japheth uh, just sort of gets told, you're going to be a servant to your brother Shem. But Shem is the line through which the Savior is coming. So you see on the map there, Japheth is way up north. Ham is in Africa and then into the Promised Land. And over on your far right, the descendants of Shem, the Semite people, the family of Abraham. If you remember when we began this story, it's from the Semitic people. It's from Ur of the Chaldees that God calls Abraham. And then that, that journey around the Middle East there until he reaches Canaan, the promised land. Yet Abraham says, don't let my son take a, daughter, uh, take a wife from the daughters of Ham, from the Canaanites. Why? Because they're outside of God's promise for a deliverer who is coming. They're outside of that covenant promise, go to my people, go to the Semitic people, go to Shem's people. We're going to find this echoed here in a few weeks when we get to Genesis 27 and 28, as Isaac's wife, Rebecca, who uh, is central in this story, is going to look for a for a wife for her son, Jacob, and say, don't. Let him take a wife from the Hittites. The, the people right here where we are. In fact, she says, my life is meaningless to me if that happens. Why? Because all had in view this promise of God that there is a line through which a Savior is coming. This, is all, this entire narrative we're going to read is all about the covenant promise of God. We'd better get that right. This is why we're spending time on that. If we get that wrong, then we're going to think this whole passage is like four helpful tips to find a good wife. And by the way, there's a ton of sermons out there that look at this passage and sound exactly like that. No, it's about children and grandchildren who will be born into the covenant promises of God. And so Abraham looks at his servant and he says, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me. Swear to me that you will be diligent concerning my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, those who are to come, that we will not draw from the wells of those who are outside the covenant family of God, but only what God has chosen. Yeah, that's a weird thing to say. I guarantee in every business dealing you've ever had, most of them were sealed with a handshake. You never like, went to the car dealer and said, put your hand under my thigh. And it's a good thing, because we're about to talk about it. Uh, the Hebrew language is a very pictorial and image-heavy language, right? So it's not necessarily a graphic. It uses imagery to convey a, a deeper meaning, a, a deeper essence that's behind the words. And so Hebrew is going to use euphemisms a lot. That, that's basically when we say something, but we say it in a different way, something that might be a little awkward or uncomfortable, and so we, we attach a euphemism to it. We do that in English a lot as well. So... Most of you in the last week have used the phrase, I need to go to the bathroom, right? Anybody said that? You don't have to raise your hand. You did, right? Because you're human. God made you like that. Uh, And only when you went to the bathroom, none of you took a bath in the bathroom, especially here today. Thanks be to God, right? If we walk in, you're just sort of splashing yourself with water out of the toilet, we're going to say, something's gone wrong. No, it's a euphemism. It's, it's much more palatable than saying something incredibly graphic and awkward, uh, because that's how the English language works. That's how the Hebrew language works. That's not how the German language works, especially as Martin Luther translated the first German edition of this passage in Genesis 24. He used no euphemism at all, as the Hebrews did. I, I just want to say to us, before we dive too deep into that, there's nothing obscene in this text. But our definitions of what is decent and indecent have been just as much shaped by Victorian prudishness as by the scripture word of God. Because it's, when you look at what actually happens here, it's actually incredibly clear where Abraham's servant hand went. And so I sweated on how to communicate this, because it's actually a really important point, and I'm going to let Albert Moeller say it. Dr. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Albert Moeller. I'm going to let him speak on this. The promise to Abraham was that in you and in your seed would all the nations be blessed, and so Abraham's servant is asked to take that seed in his hand and swear by it. This passage is not four tips on how to find a wife. This passage is Abraham looking squarely at the promise of God to descendants, to sons and daughters for generations who would come. And he says to his servant, take that seed in your hand. This is why Calvin says, and yet his old age was green. Swear to me by future generations yet to come that you will safeguard the covenant. How do we know it's actually that? How do we know that's the central point that this text is pointing at? Genesis 46, these are in your bulletin. Exodus 1, 5, in the Hebrew, both describe these descendants as coming from the thigh. It's also translated loins. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, I told you the Hebrew is very figurative. Uh, It will almost never come out and say exactly what it's talking about. Uh, Sometimes it uses the word feet as well. We're we're told that uh, in Isaiah chapter 6 that the angels are flying, and with two wings they're covering their feet. It's a a euphemism for the genitals. Abraham says, listen, there are generations of God's promise that is coming. Swear by it. Now, there's nothing sexual, there's nothing indecent that's happening here, but how many of you would say that steps it up a, a notch from a handshake? Yeah. It's almost impossible to miss. Also, uh, look up Hebrews 7, uh, verse 9 and 10. We've got way too much to cover this morning. We don't have time to look at that. But some of you are going, we're we're looking at 61 verses. Why are we spending so much time on this? And that's because if we get this wrong, we're going to get the whole passage wrong. We're going to think it's about how to find a wife. We're going to think it's about uh, this wonderful woman that he finds. Or, we're going to think, and I've seen a whole bunch of pastors saying this, that this passage is actually how to find God's will for your life. And so they come up with six steps to follow God's will for your life here. Only, there's something really clear that has happened. In fact, Abraham's going to tell us immediately following this, there's no guessing game being played on how to find God's will for your life. God had a conversation with Abraham and told him. We're just not told about it in the text. There are two things that are really clearly meant to be laid out in front of us. Number one, the promise of the seed of the woman who's coming. The Savior promise from the beginning. And number two, the promised land that God has said he will give to those descendants. Look at verse 5. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me from that land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And you can almost see everything in Abraham just cringe as he says that. Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. Here's how we know there was a conversation between him and God. He will send an angel before you. How does he know that? Because God told him. There's no guessing game being played here. You shall take a wife from my son there. But if the woman, here's the confidence Abraham has. By the way, how many sons of promise does Abraham have? One. One. Isaac. So if it doesn't work out with Isaac, it doesn't work out. But he's so convinced in what God has said. Look what he said. Verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Remember, Abraham is old at this point. He can't do it on his own. Only you must not take my son back there. The second time he said that. So the servant put his hand under, his th- under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. This is the land that God promised to me. This is the land God promised to my offspring and that is the sovereign God. It is the sovereign king of the universe's judgment that he will give us this land and I'm not going to mess it up by having my son move out of the promised land and back to where we came from. So two times he says, Do not. See to it that you do not take my son there. We can still hear Abraham saying, I 100% believe in the sovereignty of God. As is expressed in Psalm 135, verse 6, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and in all their depths. But you can also hear him saying, but as much as it depends on me, I'm going to place my kids in the path of righteousness. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to keep my kids in the promise of God's faithfulness. And salvation, as much as it depends on me, I'm not going to put them in the wrong place. Oh, parents, that that would echo in your heart. As much as it depends on me, I will place God's word in front of them day after day after day. I cannot save them, but oh God, I'm going to put them in your path. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed! How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in a company of mockers, those who would mock God and mock his word. And so Abraham sends his most trusted servant to find a wife for his one and only son. Verse 10. And the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. He arose, went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. That's Abraham's brother. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go to draw water. Abraham had two brothers. Nahor is the one from this area. The the town is named after him. We were told at the end of Genesis 22 that God had blessed him, had prospered him. Abraham, the one who is chosen, has but one son. Nahor has 12 sons. So much so that there's a whole city of his descendants here. It's interesting, we're never told the name of the servant that Abraham sends. We're told that it's his uh, oldest servant his most trusted servant, who's in charge of everything, which leads us to speculate back in Genesis 15, verse 2, when he says, God, if you don't give me a son, all of this is going to go to Eliezer of Damascus. He's my trusted servant. It makes sense that it's probably Eliezer. But consider he's in the line of inheriting everything. Before Isaac comes, it's all going to go to Eliezer. We saw how that played out with Ishmael, as Ishmael was 13 years old. Sort of the half-son of promise. Abraham and Hagar trying to manipulate God. And as he looked at this baby, this Isaac who was coming, and begins to laugh, almost threateningly, maniacally, so that Abraham sends him away. But Eliezer, if that's who it is, does the exact opposite. He is faithfully serving the son of promise. He doesn't, he doesn't get there and then stay in his tent and wait for God to send the right woman to him. No, he goes where the girls are. And then he prays to Abraham's God. Look at verse 12. This is the servant. And then he said, "O Yahweh, God of my master Abraham. Notice how there's sort of a little bit of a distance here between him and the Lord. Please grant me success today and show steadfast love, not to me, but to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink, who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love, not to me, but to my master. Consider, friends, this servant has seen faith and devotion in his master Abraham towards this God. In a day and age of polytheism of many gods, where you just pray to the one that you need at the moment, the God of love or the God of harvest or the God of war, whichever it is, you just pray to that God in that moment. Remember, he's not Eliezer the Hebrew, he's Eliezer of Damascus and yet probably for at least 60 or 70 years he's seen the faithfulness of Abraham to the one true God and so he prays to God of my master Abraham and then I love how awkward his prayer is okay God I'm by the well it looks like there's some girls coming and I've got an idea for a camel test to see which girl we should go with so if you're real Right? Can you can kind of feel uh, the questioning that he still has? Uh, Abraham seemed to have no questions, and El- Eliezer seems to be like, all right, let's see what happens. Verse 15, Before he finished speaking, oh, non-Christian in the room, you need to hear these words. As you cry out, even with questions before God, before you finish speaking, he's already moving. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. I, I love that we're told in the text who she is before the servant ever knows. This is good screenwriting right here. She comes out with a jar of water on her shoulder. Verse 16, the young, women, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, can you imagine this? Just some old sweaty guy running to meet you out by the well. Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down the jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she'd finished giving him a drink, she said, I draw water. I will draw water for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the camels. The man, this this is what the servant is doing, the man gazed at her in silence. He's just watching. He's not helping. How many wives have felt like that sometimes? All right, good, we're not going down that path. To learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey Or not. Now let's remind ourselves before we look at this, this is not a DIY text on how to find a wife. Like it's not instructions, a do-it-yourself manual for how to find a good wife. But I will say she passes the camel test with flying colors. And yet we could say, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Like she comes out, she has a jar of water on her shoulder. Rather than taking it in, she gives him a drink and, you know, pours one in for the camel's. It's nice, but why are we making a big deal about it? Kids, let me ask you a question. How much water can a camel drink? A lot. Like famously, a lot. Right? So what happens when we add a camel into this equation? How much can a man drink? Not that much. Right? If you drink too much, it actually makes you sick. Camels can drink up to 30 gallons of water in 15 minutes. Kids, how many camels did the servant have with him? Ten. So how many gallons of water potentially is that? Three hundred gallons of water. All right, so go to the next one. We've got this little blue thing that's going to pop up. Uh, It's a a container. Does anybody know how much water one of those containers can hold? Fifty-five gallons. It's a 55-gallon drum. They're about that tall, right? About that big around. That meant if she was going to take her little jar and fill them up out of the well, it would look like this. About that much water. Can you see why the camel test actually became a really big deal? Now, she's the daughter of a really rich guy. She has servants. When she agrees to go with the servant, they send a servant with her. Right? She isn't necessarily... Always doing hard work, but I gotta say, there's something in her family where they have raised some hardworking children. They've built some good character into them. And that's what this was. This was really a test of her character. We're told that she is beautiful, but how many beautiful people do you know who are really ugly on the inside? Oh, they look great on the outside. I read a a study that was taken in 2022 that looked at beautiful people, celebrity people, rich people, and found that their marriages, on average, last less than three years. Why? Because they're really ugly on the inside. Here's how Proverbs 31 says it, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. The servant isn't looking for the one. This isn't a Disney movie. But she must be from the right people. And she must have the right character. Look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking 300 gallons of water later. I still can't get over that. The man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arm, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Please be the right one. Oh my goodness, you seem like the right one. It would be a travesty if you're from the wrong family. Tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother." She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder, room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. I believe in that moment, this is the first time that someone sang, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Dad's like, he's singing, I'm so proud of my boy. (laughs) Look at his response. Someone who prayed so awkwardly now immediately recognizes the hand of God. And bows his head to worship. And she leads him to her father's house. Before he finished praying to God, God had answered. Before he finished praying, she shows up. And she goes above and beyond. She works very hard to be gracious and hospitable. It wasn't just what was easy for her. She put in the effort. And then she says, oh, by the way, I'm in the family. Now, I'm not recommending that you go looking for a wife at the next family gathering, right? This is this is a different culture. Right? They were pointing at different something else. We we said that he's looking something from the line of Shem. But she says, I'm exactly who you're looking for. And the servant, who may or may not have been a believer, bows his head and worships Yahweh. Then the young woman, verse 28, ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. We're going to find out a lot about him in weeks to come. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets, that's kind of important, on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in. O blessed of the Lord, who seems to have a ton of gold to give away. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Again, we're going to see a lot more of Laban and his character. And yet, I, I want to just interject at the beginning. There's something of diligence and hard work that evident. it, it kind of looks like uh, some of the patriarchs are, are missing from this story, perhaps have passed away. Laban is actually really good at leading his household to being diligent and good workers, even if he has some other character flaws that we will see. Seems like as soon as he sees the glint of gold, though, he says, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Verse 32, so the man came to the house, unharnessed the camels, gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. That's the first time we're told that anybody's with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And so they said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Yahweh has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he was given all that he has. And my master made me swear. And then he goes on to recount all the things that Abraham had said to him in sending him. He goes on to recount uh, his wonderful camel test that he comes up for finding a good wife. Skip down to verse 45. Yet before I had finished speaking in my heart as he's praying to the Lord, behold, Rebecca came out with water jaw on a shoulder, She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please let me have a drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. By the way, interesting fact, the ring was not for her finger. This was a nose ring. All right. Bracelets on her arm, verse 48. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, they haven't even ate yet, and he just, all the cards are out on the table. Tell me now. And if not, (laughs) don't give away your sister. Good answer. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. It's almost like he's standing there saying, this really is too good to be true. Like, first try. Found the perfect one. I'm pretty sure they're going to say no. Remember, that was his fear back when Abraham asked him, what if she won't come? What if they won't send her? Tell me now, so I can go look someplace else. Look at verse 50. Then Laban And Bethuel. This is the only time we're told of Bethuel, his father. But it almost seems like this is a a Hebrewism where Laban, as the head of the house, is speaking for his father. Either that or his father is sort of like uh, invalid and, other than this, unable to really interact. They answered saying, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. We don't get to say whether this is good or bad. By the way, that's a fantastic answer. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself again to the earth before the Lord. God, I can't believe you're doing even this. It caused him to worship, to see the power of God. Remember that fear before he left that she wouldn't come. And now I have found her and she's coming again, he worships the Lord. Verse 53, But the servant brought out jewelry and silver and gold and garments, and gave them to Rebekah, and gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And, and he and the men who were with him, again, we're told there's people with him, ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. I can't believe this happened, and I can't believe it went this smoothly. Verse 55, her brother and mother, who've had the night to think about it, said, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. And they said, let's call the young woman and ask her. What changed? Remember last night, it's take her and go. Yes, God has done this. Well, I think what, one of the things that changed was there was an exchange of some rather costly goods. And having a night to think about is we're going to see in Laban's character as he is a schemer and a manipulator. You know, if we can keep this guy around another 10 days, who knows what we can get out of him? Who knows what we can sort of draw out of this rich guy, this rich servant who's serving a rich guy who's our relative Let's play on the emotions of the young girl. The young girl who's maybe hesitant to leave home, to leave mother, to leave the brother who's watching over her. Let's ask her. You can almost hear that that manipulative implication. Well, I'm pretty sure she's going to want to stay here with us for a little bit. Oh, the surprises when God is at work. Verse 58. They called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Their jaws dropped to the floor, I'm pretty sure. And yet, they're still faithful. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and all his men. And they blessed Rebekah, and they said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him seems like a strange twist has come on this blessing. But in essence, they were giving her away in marriage. This is the wedding toast that we're given. As they would send her away, they would not be following behind, RSVPing to the coming wedding and reception. This was it. And so their wedding blessing that they speak over her is, May God bless you. May you be blessed with many children, and may that blessing continue for generations to come. And then I love this part. And if anyone hates you, I hope you take their house and all their stuff. That's the strangest wedding toast you've ever heard in all of your life, only Speaking prophetically, what was God's promise to his people? I will give you this land, and those who oppose you, I will oppose them, and those who bless you, I will bless them. If they oppose you, I'm literally going to take their land, and I promise the promised land to give it to you. That is exactly what happened with her descendants. But again, look at the character of this godly wife. This young lady... She says, I will go with him. She hasn't even met Isaac yet. This is just the old servant who's there to pick her up. I don't know what Isaac's like. Let alone what he looks like. I don't know what his character is like. Yet she says, I will trust. Verse 50, this thing has come from the Lord. The rest of her family said it, but she believed it much more deeply. Friend, she becomes a model for Christian women. And for centuries, theologians have looked at Rebecca and said she's not just a model for Christian women, she's a model of the church, the bride of Christ, lovingly, diligently following her Savior, trusting not in herself, but in him. Verse 61, then Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went on his way. Oh, in this narrative, we see the hand of divine providence working through many imperfect people. Why? Because God is keeping his promises and fulfilling all of his purposes. Turn with me, if you would, really quickly to Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. Just a couple scriptures and we're going to be done here. Joshua 21, verse 45. Summarizing the end of what would happen as this promise is fulfilled and this land is given to the people and they have claimed the land. And it ends with this, Joshua 21, verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Friends, listen to me. If you are in Christ, not one of the promises that God has made to you concerning salvation, concerning adoption, concerning His blessing on His people, not one of them will fail. They will all come to pass. Now the promises that we invent in our own hearts and minds, the promises promised by TV preachers, most of those are going to fail. But everything that God has promised for His people He keeps his word and fulfills all of his purposes. Turn with me again to Galatians chapter 3. This is the last scripture, and we're done. This is a great story in the Old Testament of faith, purity, trust, hope of this young lady, God keeping his promise to Abraham and Isaac. What does this have to do with me? And I want us in Galatians 3 to trace a straight line from Abraham to Christ and from Christ to you as believers. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, with an S at the end, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your capital S, seed. Who is Christ? So Paul tells us in Galatians that the promise was actually made through Abraham to Jesus. Not just looking to Isaac, not just looking to Jacob, not looking to the sons of Israel who would come, but all the way through them to Christ himself. It is to you that all the promise is coming. It is in you that all the nations will be blessed. Right? That's expressly what Paul tells us, Galatians 3.16, but skip down to verse 26, 26-29. And now he looks through Christ to the church that Christ has called to himself. And he says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew. Right, that was the promise before. That's how you knew you were in God's covenant, people or not. That's how you knew you were saved or not. He says, now in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. Neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, the heirs according to the promise. Friends, that means that as this servant swore by Abraham's seed, by Isaac, by Jesus who is yet to come, he also looked through Christ to you. That to you, chosen of God, saved by God, redeemed by God, God would always keep his promises. God would always fulfill his purposes in your family. Oh, weary believer, here again, God's promise is big enough for you. His power is big enough to keep it. Even though it feels like your life and family and finances are falling apart, God has you. Oh, the servant could make promises that were outside of his command. To the best of my ability, I will do this, but he couldn't command it to happen. God says, I hold you in the palm of my hand. You belong to me. Therefore, parents, be diligent with your children. Pass those promises on to the next generation. Grandparents, be diligent with children's children. Oh, may we be found faithful. Next week we're going to see as Isaac takes a wife and the story of God's covenant family I wrote continues but it doesn't. It launches into the next generation. From here it's like the starter pistol went off. It's been a long build up to this point and now God is going to multiply his people across the face of the earth. Oh that God would raise up a faithful generation of believers who so diligently digs those wells of faith that we pass them on to generation after generation after generation. Amen. Worship team, would you come? As they're coming, I want to just encourage you. I believe this is in your bulletin. Spend some time in family worship tonight. One of the things that we have done as a family is taken, especially... If it's difficult, and I know for some it's, it's difficult to build new habits of faith in passing on to our kids. And it can feel a little bit awkward instituting something like family worship. How many of you would say, yeah, in our family, we really would love to do family worship, but it's felt a little too awkward and we haven't really nailed it? I'm sorry. <laughs> I am surrounded by liars. <laughs> Here's the problem, y'all. We're all acting like we're holy, and the person next to us is really struggling like, yo, we're having trouble implementing this, but all these other people, they're doing just fine. There's zero chance I'm putting my hand up saying it's been difficult for us. How many of you have found it difficult to implement family worship because it feels awkward? Oh, that's better. Look ar- no, keep them up. Look around. You're in good company. Ah! Here's how you do this thing, right? It, just a, an easy tip for tonight. When you get, How many of you plan on eating dinner tonight? Perfect. It's everybody, right? It, we, we had less hands than before. There's a lot of repentance got to happen in this place. When you get done eating dinner... Have all of your resources to do family worship sitting on the dinner table, which means if I walk away from them, I'm intentionally walking away from them. And then, why? here's the kicker. This is going to get it done. Wives, here's your job. That's it. That's all you have to do. You don't have to say anything. You just look at him and give him that nod like, okay, now's the time. Call your guy up in this, right? And as you do that, gather around And go through, especially as mom and dad, you can, depending on how old your kids are, include them in this. Either read all through uh, 61 verses here, which if you have little kids, please don't do that. Right? Because that will make you go, we're never doing family worship again. They're just like (laughs) falling out all over the place. Summarize what we've read here together. Summarize what happened in this account. And then have a conversation. Okay, so what, what did Abraham have to trust God in this? What did the servant have to trust God in this? What did Rebecca have to trust God in this? And then sort of pull it down from that super spiritual thing into the humanity of it. Well, what could Abraham have been afraid of? What was the servant afraid of? That one we're told specifically in the text, but what was Rebecca afraid of? What were some of those fears that kind of gripped their hearts as well? This is a great springboard into then, okay, as a family, what are some things that you're worried about? And even your littlest ones have things they're worried about. And then pray together that God would help us to trust him and obey him. Oh, friends, let's be diligent to pass the faith on to the next generation because God always keeps his promises.
0: Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.